God would use it for his glory. Appreciate all the work Keith has done in preparing. It was very kind to stay in touch and keep me informed. That was very helpful and it's been a wonderful time. Thank you. Uh, also, I don't know, how many of you ever gone to Shepherd's Conference? I just encourage you. Another one's coming up in, uh, in March. I, honestly, that's where a lot of us connect. You know, we end up at the same place with a few thousand other people. And when we can find each other, we uh, have the joy of enjoying fellowship. And so if you would ever have the opportunity to go out there, it's a great time, both for the teaching that's provided out there, of course, but as well, just the opportunity to catch each other and sit down and have a cup of coffee. One of the hard things about something like this is it goes fast, and there's a lot of meetings and, and time, so it's hard to sit down and get to know people. And so it's been enjoyable to sit down and visit with some. But I obviously, if you tested me, I would not get all your names, and I'm sorry for that. That's one of those memory things that's part of the curse. But we'd love to get to know you if God ever provided opportunity. If you find yourself out our way, out further north, know that you can always call Dan or Keith. They've got my cell phone or office phone, either one. And uh, would thoroughly enjoy sitting down and having a cup of coffee. Or if you come to Shepherd's Conference, go get a bite to eat. Or uh, on occasion, we skip a session of <laughs> fellowship. But anyways. <laughs> well, this last uh, session, I just want to talk about some of the practical implications of the things that we've, we've been talking about. And uh, there's a quote at the beginning of your outline. It says, the Puritans understood that failure was guaranteed if a believer did not have a plan for what to do with his thoughts throughout the day. Guaranteed? And so, truly, I mean, if, you're, if your mind just defaults to whatever and you don't have a plan for the default, then eventually you get into trouble. And it might be moral problems, it could be anger problems, it could be anxiety problems, it could just be simply being selfish problems, but you're going to default to trouble. It's just the way it is. I mean, it's just the way it is. Um, and and it's important to know God has provided all the resources that we need for victory. God didn't set us on a course up there going, watch this mess. He provided resources so that we could learn what it means to walk in a manner that is, that is pleasing to him. But again, the mind left to itself is a, just a, a serious problem. So, so even in a given trip like this, would there be opportunities to grumble and complain? It would be easy, wouldn't it? I mean, we could open the floor, and honestly, if we open the floor for some of those things, frankly, the responses can be more rapid than when we open it for more favorable things. It's just easy to get there. You know, it could be a hard pew, a hard bed, a sleepless night, somebody who snored. It could be it's hot or it's cold. It could be I won or I lost basketball or I got fouled or I fouled. And I, you know, it could be any. I mean, we're just given to that, right? And the scriptures say what Philippians do all things without grumbling or complaining. I mean, our minds just can get there really easy. So always having our minds thinking right is a challenge. And it takes intentionality. I mean, you have to desire to think right. If you don't, if it's just, I know God has commanded me to spend time in his word, and I know I should, you, you know, hang on for the rest of your life. Because it's going to be awful as far as the ups and downs. It's just, the, it's just true. The Christian life is where we're learning to actually to train our minds so that every moment 
of every day we are striving to think biblically. And, and that takes planning. It takes effort. We call them spiritual disciplines, and I think it's appropriate. I, I like spiritual privileges. I think those, they go hand in hand. Because, because the truth is, is, is we begin to talk about our response and how we get engaged with the Word of God. Understand that it should be a delight for you. It should be the great love and passion of your life. But that doesn't mean that every morning you wake up giddy to spend time in the Word. I mean, frankly, there's times that you're going to wake up and you're not going to feel like it. Who cares? <laughs> I mean, in the morning, you wake up and you say, uh, you know, I really, I just don't feel like going to work today. I mean, I just don't feel like it. If I go, I mean, that's really going to be a dishonor to my boss, so I think I better just stay home. I mean, how well would that work? I mean, if I wake up in the morning and I don't feel like it, would I tell myself, get over it? Who cares how you feel? I had a guy in my office just the other day, and he's a young, young man, like probably upper 20, something like that, and he's an intern with us. And, and he's, really, he's really busy, got a lot on his plate. And I said, so how are things going with the personal spiritual disciplines? You time in the Word. And, and he looked at me and he said, he's from India. And he looked at me and he said, uh, I, I have to have that. I mean, it wasn't even an issue, right? He, when I talked about spending time, oh, I, I, have, I have to have that. It wasn't even an issue of that going off the table. It's like, no, 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 I, it, that, I, have, I, I have to have that. Boy, is that refreshing to hear. It was refreshing to hear. So I want to talk about uh, scripture, reading, study, memorization, meditation. If you understand how dangerous your mind is, you will be very motivated to spend time in the Word. If you understand the potential problem you are to yourself, you're going to be very motivated. It's not because uh, it's a giddy feel like it's that you're a desperate man. You're a desperate man, and God has provided a resource that you desperately need. And you're not going to lose it. You're, you're hanging, you want that. Desperately. It, it's interesting, in, in a, a book called God's Battle Plan for the Mind, it's the Puritan Practice of Biblical Meditation. It says this, what we take in by the word, we digest by meditation and let it out by prayer. So we're a culture that sometimes uh, we, we've gotten kind of uh, uh, used to a, a, what I would call a devotional Christianity. You know, I read a devotion or I read a passage in the morning and then I'm on with my day. But the scriptures really don't talk about devotions, not that I'm opposed to that, but but the scriptures actually talk about this idea of being spiritually minded all day long. So it's not reading a passage and moving on. It's, it's working through a passage with the intent to be thinking about that passage <coughs> through the course of your day. It, it's to have it on your mind. It, it's to truly be contemplating a passage. Thomas Watson points out that without meditation, the truth of God will not stay with us. The heart is hard, and the memory slippery, and without meditation, all is lost. Guys, frankly, it's easy to spend time in the Word in the morning and an hour later not remember what you, what you read. And, and so you have to ask yourself, well, what then is the benefit? I mean, what really is the benefit? Is it to check off a box? Because I don't think there's, I don't think there's a biblical box to say, uh, I read the, the Bible for five minutes today. It doesn't exist. The issue is, 
is getting this book into our minds and into our hearts so that we're thinking about it all the time. So there's always something that we're working on. This whole idea of the mind, it's, it's just so you know, I, I didn't prepare this just for this. The Lord began to work on my heart with this topic, and I've dealt with it for years in, in counseling and ministry. But in the last months, the Lord has just impressed upon me the importance of this topic. And honestly, I'll be working through this and developing this surely over the next year. I mean, that's just the way it's going to be. This topic will be on my heart and my mind for months and months to come. Because I, I just trying to grasp how valuable it is in my own life and then how to help others with the benefit that I receive from it. But, but guys, it means that you've got to constantly be thinking about the Word. Maybe there's a topic. Some of you do read some. Some of you read through the Bible every year or about that. Some of you are faithful in reading through. I mean, for me, in order to avoid just the habit of reading through, what I do is I'll pick a topic that I'll look through through the whole Bible. You know, so I'll pick, like, the fear of the Lord. As I read through the whole Bible, I'm looking for that theme everywhere in the whole Bible, the concept, the picture, an illustration, the terms, because I want to keep my mind engaged in the truth of Scripture, and I want to be thinking about it. You guys, if I wake up at night, I want to be thinking about the Scriptures, all right? When my mind starts to veer off places it shouldn't go, I want to have something to bring it back to, and again, we'll talk about that shortly. Proverbs 4.23, it says, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Now, Rayburn says this, the idea of keep your heart with all diligence or vigilance, it's to keep your heart means guard your thoughts. In some languages, this is expressed as watch your mind, keep a hand on your head, take care of your thoughts. Uh, the idea is more than anything else, you've got to guard what comes in. You've got to guard what you allow to stay there. You know that you would never get to pornography if you stopped the thought when it first came, confessed it, and filled your mind with something else. You would never go there. You wouldn't. But when you leave the thoughts, you choose not to replace them, then eventually those thoughts turn into big, big trouble. So the idea of guarding your minds, guarding them from from things that you don't want input, but also guarding what you allow to be there and to remain there. It says, for from it flow the springs of life. The, the idea is that what people think, what is in their minds, determines how they will act. So listen, if your mind spends hours thinking about this person that you're so frustrated with, or a job situation, or a financial, and you just you just mull that over and over. You guys, what ultimately is going to come from that? It's trouble. I mean, it's trouble. If you have issues with anxiety, you know, what do you do? You're constantly, your mind is constantly playing the, the potential circumstances over and over and over and over and over again. People with depression, what are they doing? They're playing bad thoughts over in their mind over and over and over again. You guys, we've got to guard against that. We, we have to control our minds and force them to think biblically. In Proverbs 18.50, it says, The mind of the prudent acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks 
knowledge. You hear that? The mind of the prudent acquire. You guys, this is intentional. In other words, learning and grasping the truth of God's word must be a passion of your heart and a commitment of your life. If you're gonna, if you're gonna fill your life with with baseball games and football games, not that there's anything inherently wrong with some of those things, but if you fill your life with all of those other things so that you have very little time left over. You've made your choice. You've made your choice. Now, if you switch that and say, okay, how many of you guys are married? Okay? If you say, I want to be a biblical leader, I want to be a biblical father, I want to be a biblical husband, for those that are single, I want to be a biblical friend, I want to be a biblical son, then you've got to switch that whole thing. And you have to evaluate your schedule on the front end and determine what you can be involved in and what you can't. Because if you just let it happen, what's going to happen? I mean, the enemy loves it. Fill your time. Oh, you're busy. That's good. But if you reverse that and you sit down and on the front end you say, I need to look at all of the things in my life and determine, first of all, how am I going to spend appropriate time in God's Word? Appropriate time, not leftover time. Not just check off a box to say that I'm reading like I'm supposed to. Time that helps me to truly memorize, meditate, study, and delight in. you got to do that on the front end and determine how that's going to work. And then the other things you bring into your life, you say, oh, I can't do that one. That'd be a problem. I can't maintain my spiritual priorities if I bring that in because that gets in the way. But you guys really, I mean, how many people do that? I'm not asking you to respond. But how many people do that, you know? It is almost almost always the reverse and so it's like uh, in counseling and all the work we do that we're always fighting against what's already been established well i can't i got this and i got that and i got the other thing and and i just i just can't get it done it's like well quit that and quit that and quit that well i can't do that i mean the coach he, he wouldn't let me coach because you're about god who cares about the coach i mean i care but uh, not the same not the same, right? I mean, is it, is it fair? Yeah. So if, if you want to be a godly man, and I know many in this room both are and do, praise the Lord. But you always have to be planning on the front end, not the back end. Because once you start doing that on the back end, essentially you put spiritual priorities aside and you, you tend to try to... Uh, Maybe just satisfy God. But this isn't about satisfying God. This is about living a godly life and pleasing God. In Proverbs twenty two seventeen, incline your ear and hear the words of the wise and apply your mind to my knowledge. Proverbs twenty three twelve, apply your heart to discipline and your ears to words of knowledge. One of my favorite passages as it relates to the Word of God is Proverbs chapter 2. If you have a Bible, you might turn there. We'll go through a few of those verses. Proverbs chapter 2. In verse 1, <coughs> My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding, for if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. 
For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice, and he preserves the way of his godly ones. Then it says in verse 9, you will discern righteousness and justice and equity and every good course. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will guard you. Understanding will watch over you guys. How many of you feel like you desperately need God's wisdom? Truth? Okay. I mean, we do, right? I mean, we need God's wisdom. You, you know what it said here? God will give you his wisdom. He will gladly give you his wisdom. But did you look at the, the first part of the, the chapter, the verses? If you will receive my words and treasure my commandments, make your ear attentive, incline your heart to understanding, cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding, seek her as for silver, search for us for hinder. You guys, you get the picture of the passion? The passion, the pursuit, the dynamics here? He said, you need to want it. Now, you guys, I know, I'm going to just give a clarification. James 1.5, it says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men generously. It does not hold back. But let me explain. That is not a verse that just says, you can walk through life, and when you need wisdom, you just ask. In fact, it goes on to say, don't, don't ask doubting. If you doubt, you're like the waves of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That man ought not to think he will receive anything from the Lord. That verse, verse 5, is in relationship to the person, in the, the Christian, who is walking with the Lord in the midst of the trials of life. And in the midst of the trials of life, you guys, there's times we don't know what to do. We're not sure of the right decisions. And so it's in the midst of those trials, it says, for the believer, as you walk, you can ask God for wisdom and he will give it to you. And you can be confident of that, but don't doubt him. If you ask, trust that he will lead you. And you guys, the truth is, in some trials, you don't know what to do. I remember one issue with my with my my wife before she went to be with the Lord. We were trying to decide two medications. Both were bad choices, but we had to do something. And so we, we pray and think, but the Bible doesn't say, take this one. So we pray for wisdom, and we picked one, and shortly after she started taking it, it shut down the electrical system of her heart. We had to go, and then she had a pacemaker, which, of course adds to the complications of life at that point, right? And I remember she asked me this question. She was really sweet because she never truly, I'd never heard her once in, in our entire married life, 31 years, doubt God or question his goodness. And her body was devastated by disease. Never once. But she did ask me this. Help me to understand God's sovereignty in the midst of decisions like that. Because the Bible doesn't say take this medication or take that. And you have to make choices. And she said, so, like, we prayed, and we were trying to sort out what was best, and we chose this one, and then in short order, it had some very negative effects for her physically. And she said, uh, so how does God's sovereignty work in that book? It's like, I said, I'm going to answer that with one word. She said, okay. She was very good-natured with me. She was very good-natured. Perfectly. Beyond that, I'm a little rusty. <laughs> All I can say is he can do anything. He can change the medication. He can cause it to do anything he wants. All, all I can think is there must be a cardiologist or a pacemaker technician or somebody that needs our testimony. Because he didn't make a mistake. He says he will guide us. But you guys, when he guides us, it doesn't mean it's going to turn out the way you hope. It might not, but that doesn't mean he didn't guide us. It just means his plans are different than ours, and we better be alert. 
to what he's trying to do, what he seeks to accomplish, because it is for good purposes. But you guys hear, the picture is, if you want wisdom, God makes it available, <laughs> but he says, you need, you need to really want it. You want to desperately pursue it. You know, when it talks about seeker is silver and search for is for hidden treasures, you guys, I, I mean, if, if, if you knew in your backyard there was $5 million buried 10 feet down, but it was within the context of your fence and not under your slab, although it probably wouldn't matter if you knew it was, if you knew it was there, would you dig for it? Yes. Yeah. I mean, there's always somebody saying, no, I wouldn't. It's like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> I mean, most of us would go get it. And what he's saying is wisdom is vastly more valuable than all the money that this world has to offer. It's vastly more valuable. But do you believe that? Because your priorities will demonstrate whether you believe it. It's different. There's a difference between acknowledging something is true and believing it for me personally, right? And the difference is how I, how I act, how it changes or affects my priorities. In Psalm 119, verses 9 to 16, it says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. You see that? With all my heart I have sought you. Your word I have treasured in my heart. So see, that's not just Bible reading. That's taking it and, and delighting in it and thinking about it and meditating on it and, and, and desiring it to affect my life, desiring to be able to share and minister to others with it. Your word I have treasured in my heart, why? That I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have told of all the ordinance of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in what? All riches. I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. Uh, you know, one of the... One of the the, the greatest things that happened to me or most significant that had long-term implications, and I've heard some of you talk about the nav pack, okay, the, you know, somewhere in Navigator, somebody got a hold of you and got you, I, when I was going to State University in Northern California, Humboldt State University, I was in wildlife management, eventually went into youth ministry, I thought they were similar. Um, <laughs> but uh, a guy started me memorizing scripture, and I'd never really done that in any serious way. And, and, uh, and I went from there to a, another church in Southern California, and I started working in the youth group there, and, and they memorized books of the Bible. The kids, youth group, books of the Bible. I'd never heard of such a thing. And, and then as I went into youth ministry, that became a part of what we would do. We would help folks memorize substantial portions of Scripture. And you know what? That has been huge in my life. That has been huge. Why? Because in that resources. It's in my mind. And when I need it, it's there. I can contemplate these verses. And as I'm walking through life, we're going, you guys, when the temptations come and my mind wants to go one way, I'm going to grab a scripture and pull it into my mind just like that and say, God, forgive me for that thought. And then I'm going to begin working through a scripture verse in my mind. And I'll talk about how I do that in just a minute, you guys. But it's replacing the awful thoughts, the destructive thoughts with biblical thoughts. And you guys, it is precious. Psalm 119.97, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. People say, wow, how do you meditate all day long? Well, here's the deal. Okay. You guys, how, how many times are you tempted to sin a day? You haven't been counting, have you? <laughs> it's just way out of reach. <laughs> I mean, it's a lot, right? 
I mean, the temptation to sin is just all the time. I, I don't care how mature you are in the Lord. I don't care. I mean, it's just there. It's just the temptation. That's the reality of the challenge we have. If every time you are tempted to sin, if every time you're tempted to sin, you immediately say, God, forgive me that that thought would even come to my mind. And you grab the verse and you just begin to systematically walk through wherever you're at. For God so loved the world. In what ways did God love the world? Just begin to walk through that. Gave his only son. What would that have been like? Christ coming to this earth in the body of a baby, living on this. Just begin to think through all the implications. Just walk through the verse and begin. You guys, when you're doing that, I'm telling you, you, you can read your Bible and be thinking something else, right? Because you're not really reading the Bible. But, but you cannot systematically meditate on Scripture, working through it, and have another thought in your mind. You can't do it. And so that temptation comes to think wrong. You grab a scripture. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. What does it mean to be steadfast? And I'll talk to myself. What does that mean? Who are people that I know that are really steadfast and immovable? I need to pray for those people right now. I need to pray for those people. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. God, where, where do I need to abound more in your work? And I just begin to systematize. You guys, it, it, re it replaces those other thoughts. I don't allow those other thoughts. I refuse to allow those other <coughs> thoughts to remain in my mind. But you guys, if you do that, every time you're tempted to sin, you'd be meditating day and night. <laughs> you would. Truly. You would be meditating day and night. The temptation that leads you into trouble can be the the same tool that leads you to think biblically. God doesn't permit things into your life to destroy you. They're just reminders. Now think right. Think right. Pull the scripture in. Meditate on the word of God. Process it. Systematically go through it. Enjoy it. Delight in it. Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I need your word. Uh, Dan and I were talking earlier about having biblical patterns in our lives. You guys that are, that are important patterns. The time that we're going to spend in the word. Whether the memory or the, the meditation of God's word. Those priorities in life. You establish those. So that's a part of your life. So that when the trials come and the temptations come. You have a spiritual pattern. And it provides the resource then to deal with the temptation. To deal with the trials. I mean one of the things. And I, I, I'm sorry to bring it up so much. But it's on my mind especially this week. Because this is an anniversary of my wife's death. But sorry, I really do pretty good with that these days. But but I can remember when she died, I knew I knew two things. I knew that God's provision for her was absolutely perfect, and I knew in a moment of time she went from a body that was ravaged to glory. <laughs> Praise God! I am so grateful for her. But I also knew a second thing. He left me here intentionally because my job wasn't done. Hers was done. Mine obviously wasn't because if mine was done, I'd have gone at the same time. A lot of people, they have a death like that, and they, oh, God, just take me too. Listen, if God leaves you, he's not done. And I knew that. And what I knew is for this guy, I better keep moving forward with what God has called me to do. Whether it's easy or hard, doesn't matter. 
But it's the patterns of life and the priorities of life so that you keep going, saying, God, help me in the midst of this. And all that comes with it, to think right. But you guys, if you don't have those patterns, what do you fall back on? Well, you try to develop them in the midst of the trial? You try to develop in the midst of the, the temptation? That, that doesn't work very good. It just doesn't work very good. And that's really not how God intends us to be. He wants us to love his word. He wants us to delight in it every day. He wants it to be the passion and priority of our hearts, the discipline of our life, to where we say, if I don't feel like it, I, I mean, come on, Rock. What does that matter? Really? I need it. I'm a desperate man. I'm a sinful man. It's God's word. You give me wisdom. God, forgive me for not having the passion that I desire or that I need to, but, but teach me. By your grace, teach me and help me to grow in my understanding. Other verses I won't read again, 2 Timothy 2.15. Being a workman doesn't need to be ashamed. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. You know, the scriptures are made available so that we can be adequate, equipped for every good work. It's a sad day when we live in a culture of professing Christians that often see the reading and study of God's word as an assignment, a burden that we must complete or God may be unhappy with us. That's not what God intends. It's a gift. It's a gift. You guys were some of the very few people that have been gifted to be able to understand the truth of this book. Very few people on this planet can do that. And we have it. We need, we need to get it. We need to understand it. And we need to enjoy the value of it. At the end of the day, I think the lack of obedience to God's word, that is the lack of spending time and memorizing and meditating and studying is a reflection of a a very low view of God and a very high view of man. In other words, if you think that you're just okay through the day or the week or whatever without it, then you, you think very highly of yourself. And that would be, that would be uh, pride. But the scriptures in Proverbs, and in Proverbs, I think it's 8.13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil pride, arrogance, and the evil way and the perverted mouth I hate. Okay? Pride and arrogance mean independent living. I got it, God will call on you if I need to. But the dependent man is completely in submission and subjection, recognizing, God, God, please help me to understand your word. Please help me to apply it. Please help me to know how to best minister to other people. I want to come back to just some of the practical application in daily life. And I've talked about this. I just want to emphasize it again. You guys, when, when the word of God becomes truly a passion of your heart and a priority in your life, in other words, you start letting other things go before you're ever going to let the word of God go. Okay, You make sure your life is, is developed in such a way that it maintains the priority it needs to be. Then, then every day, every day, you have to see through spiritual eyes. You have to see it. So, so I don't know... Uh, I, you know, the different jobs. I've talked to some of you about the different things that you do. But, but every day you have to wake up thinking, God wants to accomplish spiritual things both in my life and through my life today. Today. I mean, is that fair to say? I mean, you believe that? I mean, I think that's true. Every, every, I think every day God has spiritual opportunities uh, for those who are his children to take advantage of. But it's, it's easy to get up in the morning, just play my day, have breakfast, jump in the car, and go. And get through the end of the day without a spiritual thought of opportunities that God might bring my way. You can't be like that as a Christian. You can't be like that. 
okay? You have to understand every day is a spiritual day. And so you wake up, and you need to teach your wife, you need to teach your kids these things, okay? Uh, those that are here that, that are uh, younger than that, you want to encourage your friends with these things, that every day has spiritual opportunities. And, and you must think that way so that you're prepared for the opportunities. Of course, it helps when you're meditating on the Word through the day, right? Temptations come in, and the first thing you do, you learn to bring the Scripture to your mind. And so, and you guys, you'll be working on a verse pretty soon. You're off doing whatever in the world you're doing. And, and then another bad thought will come. And you go, oh, God, forgive me. And you pull a verse in real quick and begin to work on it. And off doing it. And pretty soon you're just doing whatever you, you know. And it, it, that just becomes a pattern of your life so that you become more spiritually alert. Uh, I, I, I've had a situation recently where somebody would come in and they lost a job. And uh, you guys, this is when we find out how much we believe in God's sovereignty. Because oftentimes we want to give credit to people. Not good credit, bad credit. You know, they fired me. They took my job. They, 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 they. It's like, I love Paul. Paul, when he's in prison, what does he say? I'm a prisoner because of the religious leaders? He doesn't say that. I'm a prisoner because of Rome? He didn't even say that. What does he say? I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. <laughs> he won't even give him credit for putting him in jail. Don't you love it? You guys, God's in charge of all of that. He's in charge even of the unbeliever, even of the unbeliever who causes you incredible grief. He's in charge of that. He knows all things. He hasn't put you there by accident. Or he's not going, oh, God, I need to deal with that guy, but right now I've got a problem in China. He's not doing that. He deals with everything perfectly. Everything. And you guys, having that confidence in life in what God is accomplishing, and then seeking to be who God wants you to be in the midst of every circumstance. Every circumstance. So you're saying, okay, this is a difficult circumstance. I lost my job. So a guy comes into me, and he's very distraught. Understandably, he needs a job. He's been to, I forget, I think it was maybe nine job interviews. And he says, Rock, nine interviews. Two of them acted like they were going to offer me jobs. And I, I mean, at the end of the day, nine interviews and nothing. I said, okay, I have a different perspective for you. Now, I understand you need a job and appreciate that. But let me encourage you to think a little differently. Because all he's thinking about is what? Yeah. A job. And we get that. I mean, he needs a job. He needs to provide for his family. But you guys, what is the potential of what God might be wanting to accomplish in his life? Was it any mistakes there? No mistakes. And so I said, okay, listen, this is what I'm going to encourage you to do. I want you to step back, okay? And, and instead of just looking them at them as, as job interviews, I want you to look at them as divine opportunities. Because if God takes you to nine different job interviews and you don't get a job, I'm thinking somewhere in there somebody needed to hear the gospel or be encouraged in the Lord or something. Something of spiritual consequence. So now you approach those job interviews and you say, God, before you go, I really need a job. Pray that you might give me an opportunity for a job. But Lord, I don't know if that's why you have me going to this guy. This guy might need to hear the gospel. This person might be a Christian who needs to be encouraged. This might be an opportunity to build a relationship. I take him out for lunch later just to share a word of encouragement or a ministry of the word. I don't know. God, help me to have eyes that see beyond my need. Then, I mean, at least when you get to the end of the ninth interview, you can say, yeah, you know, two guys I got to share the gospel with, and uh, one of them I lost a job over it, but... 
I got to encourage some guys, and so I don't, you know, the Lord will use those things. I didn't get the job, but but they were opportunities. I met people I didn't intend to meet. I didn't even want to meet. But God obviously ordained circumstances so that I would meet them, and they provided spiritual opportunities. We saw that in the medical world with us. I mean, we I, I spent I, I couldn't even tell you how many weeks I've spent in hospital rooms or how many hours I've spent in doctor's offices over the years. I have no idea. I couldn't even tell you how many surgeries my wife had had. Right? But you guys, all of those provide divine opportunities. Right? When the, the difficult circumstances of life come, they provide divine opportunities. But the problem is, in trials, we tend to be mostly self-focused. Because we're dealing with the issues, it's overwhelming, it's struggles, and we fail to see the people around us. But you guys, I mean, if you're going through a lawsuit, okay, I hope you're not. But if you are, I'm guessing that you're not the kind of guy that says, yeah, I mean, I just love going through these. <laughs> For most of you, my father was different than that, but you haven't known my father. My father said, if you haven't been sued, you haven't done anything. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't buy into that. <laughs> but most, but you know, you, you could find yourself in a situation like that that's, that's hard. You don't want to be in. Well, you can either get consumed with yourself in the midst of that, or you say, Lord, I mean, I, I, it's not a road I want to go down. I know that you're in control of all things, but God, I just pray that I, I know I'm going to meet people that I wouldn't otherwise have met. Help me to recognize divine opportunities. Help me not get so caught up with my own circumstances that I fail to see the opportunities that you bring. You see, as you're walking consistently in the Word, meditating on the Word, then when those difficulties come, it's easier to practice good spiritual habits in the midst of those challenges of life. And you guys then, if you're driving down the road, and you know, you're meditating on the Word, you're trying to think of spiritual opportunities that are, might be coming, and somebody runs into the back of you, say, <laughs> I'm going to have their attention in a minute. Divine opportunity. Divine opportunity. But what do we tend to get caught up with? Oh, this is going to make things miserable for a while, trying to fix all of this, and da 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 and, You know, it's just easy to get caught up with what? <laughs> but you guys, I mean, they can't leave. Okay? I mean, you, you have to talk to this person. They ran into you. Or maybe you ran into them. And so, the potential for spiritual things taking place. It's, it's really substantial. I mean, I think that they're all around. It can be at the gas station you go to, the grocery store that you go to. It, it can be in, in any particular area of life. It's just learning to think that way. But you guys, to think that way, it has to be a pattern of your life that you're spending time in God's Word, you're praying for opportunities through the day, you're constantly bringing His Word to your mind. That means for most of us, Scripture memory is helpful. Scripture memory, take it with you. And, it, and it, if you struggle with scripture memory, then I would say do short phrases like in Ephesians 5.1, therefore be imitators of God. I mean, you could meditate the rest of your life on that. Not too many words. Most of us could get it. If you can't, put it on a card. Right? But just foster meditation. Now, I want to talk a bit about temptation and biblical thinking. Temptation. Uh, you know, oftentimes when somebody comes in, especially if they're demonstrating a pattern of sinfulness, 
the, the spiritual disciplines are not there anyways, right? I mean, they sort of spend time in the Word, but, but it's not common that somebody's spending really substantial time seeking to grow in their knowledge and, of the Word and biblical meditation. Um, normally, those things are really locks, and, and so there's the issue of trying to develop and help them understand the value of spiritual disciplines in order to be able to deal with the sinful habits of life. Um, but for those who want to learn to control their thinking in any number of situations. In James chapter 1, verses 12 to 15, when it talks about uh, temptation, it reminds us that blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. You understand the word trial and temptation can be used uh, in, in each, in, trial could be used as temptation or temptation as trial, okay? It depends on the context of that. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he's been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when what? He's carried away and enticed by his own lust or desire. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. <coughs> Uh, there's a progression. So if we just took the, the, the issue of, of pornography, knowing that that's a, a, a prevalent issue in our, in our culture today, uh, for a Christian to choose to view pornography, you just have to understand there's a whole series of decisions you make. It doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen to you. Okay, first of all, there's a desire, right? The lust. Where's that desire? You're thinking about it. You, I mean, you're thinking about it. it what, you, you saw a billboard, you saw a person, you saw something. You remembered something from the past, and it comes into your mind. At that moment, you have a choice. You have a choice right then. The problem with Christians is not God providing victory, it's laziness. And so at that moment, when that thought comes in, if the first thing you do is you grab a verse, any verse that you know, and you pull it into your mind, and you just begin to systematically go through it. Remember that Philippians 4a, whatsoever things are good, honorable, right, lovely, good, if there's anything excellent, anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on those. That's what we're doing. So a bad thought comes in, God, forgive me for that thought. You do it right away. You don't wait. Because the longer you wait, the bigger trouble you get in. <coughs> you know, guys that say, well, I just can't help you. If you can't help it, you're unsaved. If you're a Christian, God has truly given you all the resources you need to have victory and to have consistent victory. But you've got to practice them. And so you bring a verse to your mind. And so you fill your mind with that verse. And you guys, as long as you do that, it cannot, I'm telling you, it cannot be dwelling on the filth of this world. You're not allowing your mind to remain in the gutter. You're not allowing the lust of the flesh to develop. Because that, it's that process of development. You keep thinking about it. You keep start thinking about avenues and ways and, and you know, being a private. By the way, you know, there is no private place. There is no private place. I mean, if you think there's a private place, you are out of your mind. And you guys, whatever you do, God and his angels, you have an incredible heavenly audience. Don't kid yourself that because your wife doesn't see you or your friends don't see you that you're not being seen. I, I mean, I think that Proverbs 15, 3, I think it is. <laughs> the eyes of the Lord are in every place watching both the evil and the good. When you do it good, that's quite encouraging, isn't it? <laughs> Memorize it, you know? 
and it's not going so good and you're making bad decisions, it's not, it's not near so comforting. That's, that's how I think about things. I think about it wherever I'm at, that God and all of his heavenly hosts, whoever he wants, are watching. They see everything that I see. And then, the truth is, God also hears all of my thoughts perfectly. I don't even have to say it. You ever get irritated at somebody and you're feeling it in your heart and you're talking to them and they don't have a clue? <laughs> you ever do that? Can't do that with God. Yeah, that's why in the scripture it's fun to read because all of a sudden he'll answer a question that somebody's asked but they only ask it in their mind. <laughs> they didn't even say it out loud. He sees and he hears everything. There is no private place. And I think just being reminded of that, I think it's a good principle to be reminded. You know, I tell people that come into me for counseling, you know, and they want accountability and stuff like that. And I tell them, you know, I mean, you can lie to me all day long, truly, and I probably won't figure it out. And I'm, I'm surely not going to follow you around to try to figure it out. <laughs> I mean, I just, I'm not going to do that. But you're not going to stand before me. You won't stand, you don't have to worry about me. You won't stand before me. But there is one that knows it all perfectly. Knows it all perfectly. So you guys, we just have to come to grips with some, some realities of, of learning to think right. And then I told you about the guy that comes in and he said, I must have been tempted a thousand times. You know, to think bad thoughts. Because he developed a really bad pa pattern with pornography. And, and I told him, well, that's great. It's great if every time, can you imagine a thousand times a day, he had got to grab a verse and pull it into his mind and begin to think through it? What would that do for him? <coughs> I mean, that begins to set you on a course for godliness, right? Why does it break down? Why, why would we quit doing it if that actually provides victory that I think spiritually? Why would we stop doing it? Because the flesh yearns to be satisfied. So we choose to do what we want to do. God provides a way of escape. In fact, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, you guys know that? Anybody quote that? illustration of the nation of Israel. And it talks about the nation of Israel, how they all experienced the, the same things when they walked with Moses. Okay, The cloud, the sea, they talked about the rock that was with them, and the rock was rice. And so it emphasizes that they all had this, and yet it says with most of them, God was not well pleased. And then it talks about the sins that they committed. You know, the grumbling and the morals, all of these lists of things. And, and then it warns us to be careful. Lest we fall. There's no temptation taking you, but it's just common to man. But you guys have Israel, very few took the way of escape. Very few. Why? Why? Because they chose the pleasures of sin. Remember, Moses chose obedience rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin. But for the most part, Israel, they chose the 
pleasures of sin rather than obedience. And so, I mean, you have to want to live a life that's pleasing to God. But if you're in Christ, you ought to have that desire. Not that it's not a battle, but your desire ought to be that you would be able to please the Lord. Now, let me say, it's not just with moral issues. Uh, some of you might have a problem with anger, okay? Might have a problem with anger. You know, reading the Proverbs is going to be really helpful on that just because it reminds us of the foolishness of man's anger. We, as a general rule, don't reflect what would be a righteous anger that God reflects. See, even Jesus, when he cleared the temple, what did he say? He says, my father's house is to be called a house of prayer. It was about God and God's glory and God's honor. It wasn't about self. You know, so for something like anger, when you start to get angry, the thing is, first of all, you've got to acknowledge that sin. You can't blame your anger like I did on my son. You can't blame your anger on somebody else. You have to own it. God, I'm sorry. I should... Yeah, but my work's sake. No, no, no. This is my sin. I need to own my sin. God, forgive me for my son. And then again, pulling in scripture that helps. For me, uh, with anger, it was, I, I, this is how I think of anger. This, this is just my personal deal. You know, it helped me because this was a struggle for me times in my life. I, I see myself, if I start to get angry, having a sign over my head where I'm holding up saying, I just want you to know that I'm a fool. Because <laughs> who's quick-tempered? It's a foolish man. I think, that, well, that's awful. That's awful. And so see that same process of recognizing sin, calling it sin, dealing with it with scripture, and then using the scripture to, to help me to think right and then respond right. And you guys, with, with repentance, you know that repentance is to recognize the wrong and then turn and do the right thing. Okay, so it's not just saying, I'm not going to be angry. What is it? What? It's love. It's love to demonstrate love. You guys ever hear that phrase that, if you can't say anything good, don't say anything at all. That is sinful. That is sinful. If you can't say anything good, you need to repent of your sin, and then you need to say something that's right and appropriate and God-honoring. That's just an escape. I mean, that's the way it needs to be. So I'm angry at somebody. Not only do I need to confess and repent, get the scriptures in my mind, then I need to say, God, help me to do what is appropriate and honoring to you in this situation. That's a harder part in many respects, isn't it? Not easier to just try to shut up and step back. But no, no, no. We need to do what is biblically right. You know, with your wives, if, if for some reason you, you get into a, a difficult situation where you're not getting along or something, you know, and you realize, you know, this is wrong. This is not biblical leadership. It's not just going and saying, I'm sorry, forgive me. Then it's doing what's right, being a godly, sacrificial husband. And you know what? That really crosses the grain of the pride. Keeping the scriptures in our mind, learning to be biblical in the things that we do, and you know, being treated unfairly. I love First Peter too about that, because when you're treated unjustly, God says that is perfect opportunity for the gospel. See, when you're thinking biblically, you can think right in those situations, and rather get the poor me's. I can't believe they treated me. I can't believe they did that to me. It's like why? Why not? I mean, look what they did to Jesus. You'll be okay. The question is, how can you honor God in this situation? Your testimony shines a light lot brighter when people have been mean to you and life is just going good. Your testimony shines much brighter when you're in the midst of great loss and trial than when life is just going smooth and easy. That's just the way it is. And so God says, this, this finds favor with me for the sake of conscience toward God, a person who bears from their suffering, sorrows and suffering unjustly. So, so thinking biblically about these things, 
is going to be uh, critical. You know, as it relates to singleness and people that want to get married, you you you, uh, you got to trust God with His provision for those. You keep serving God, thinking biblical, doing the things that you know will honor Him. And if He brings that into His life, your life, then you, you that's God's provision and grace. But boy, people that pursue those things without pursuing God first and foremost, oftentimes find out that the only thing worse than wanting to get married really, really bad is wanting to get unmarried. Okay, let's talk about establishing a plan, just some pleasure. You guys, in order to think right, regeneration has to come first. So if, if your life is, uh, if your life demonstrates that you're in bondage to sin, you first got to come to Christ in faith and repentance. That's the beginning. You have to have a desire to love God with all your heart, soul, mind. Keeping in mind that that will be a lifelong pursuit. Okay, you need to always constantly pursue growing in that area. But your your love for for God should surpass your love for all other people, including yourself. You must be consistently reading, studying, med and meditating on the Word of God. That has to be a high priority in your life. And if you're not willing to make that a high priority, I mean, you have to understand that the resources that God has given you, you've determined not to benefit from. And then you will see the result of that in your life, most certainly. You must think spiritually through the course of each day. You guys, the spiritual encouragement and things are not designed to just come when there's trials and temptations. The spiritual perspective is to be an, an everyday event, every day of every week of your entire life. You must learn to call sin, sin. And I do think that's one of the issues as you grow in the Lord. All of a sudden you start seeing things that you just didn't even recognize as sin before. And you go, wow, God, I'm sorry that I, I thought like that. Or I'm sorry for the feelings I had or the things that came to, to my mind. You know, it's, it's, it's learning to recognize sin and calling it sin and don't blame it on other people. It's not that somebody else may not. They may have sinned against you. But that doesn't provide an excuse for you to sin or for me to sin. All right, and I, I have to deal with my sin. Who do I want to deal with? Yeah. <laughs> the, you know the log and the beam, uh, and, and the beam and the speck, right? Where, where do we tend to focus on? Speck. Yeah, fo focus on the other person. You know, I mean that's that's oftentimes what marriage counseling, what people want it to be like. <laughs> come in and tell me about how bad this other person is. I said, you know, you can't do that. They're not even here. Let's talk about you. <laughs> you know, that's where it starts, right? We've got to deal with ourselves. I don't know if they're going to change or not, but you can. Be who God wants you to be in the midst of a difficult circumstance. That's, that can be good. Call sin, sin. Be quick to confess it. And then determine to do the opposite. Be quick to confess it. But don't stop there, you guys. You've got to be determined to do the opposite. Repent is turning and going the other way. So if, if you were going to say unkind things, you need to pray and seek a way to th say things that are kind, gracious, and God-honoring. You have to discipline yourself to be obedient. And then just you, 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 can't, you cannot allow sinful thoughts to circulate in your mind. It, whether it's worry, whether it's anger, whether it's lustful thoughts, you, you just can't. If, if you allow those thoughts to stay resident in your mind, your mind is a minefield. It will lead to 
to the progression of sin. That's what James says. It's just going to go there. So either you choose to replace those thoughts or you're choosing to pursue a pattern of sin. I mean, there's, just, there's only two options. And I, I just want you to know, you don't have to leave the thoughts in your mind. To me, that's liberating. Yeah. For a lot of guys, they feel like they just somehow, how do I get rid of the temptation? And I tell them, you, temptation is common to all men. I mean, the temptations may change, but I'm telling you, they're never going away in this life. So the issue is not getting rid of the temptation. The issue is responding to the temptation biblically. And you guys, if you respond to it biblically, then I believe you learn to meditate on the Word day and night. It just goes hand in hand and this provides a, a great um, avenue for personal growth. So, the question is, and that you have to ask, is where you're at in the process. And I can't answer. I have to answer for myself, right? So believe me, before you hear any of this, I get adequately beat up, worked over to contemplate how to think biblically and respond biblically. And I'm responsible for my life and my schedule and my priorities. And you're responsible for yours. And I, I mean, some of you, I expect, have very good patterns of life. I suspect some of you have really bad patterns of life. And some of you are maybe just at that stage where you're beginning to develop them. I'm just, you just need to know that you can leave here and walk away and say, amen. And, and if you have things that need to change, if you're not intentional about that, we could have the same conference next year. Yeah. And be in the same place. God has provided the resources, but you have to take the initiative. You have to think through your life. You have to make the right decisions, and sometimes hard decisions, and sometimes hard decisions for your families, because sometimes people get their kids involved in so many things. They're, they're going morning to night, six, seven days a week. And it's really hard when you have to tell your kids, you know what, we're not going to keep doing this. Because there's no way we can maintain our spiritual priorities like this. So, I mean, you will have to work through that in your whole mind and your heart and in your life and in your family, whatever responsibilities you have. But at the end of the day, I hope it's helpful for you. Tim Challies, let me close in his article, Run to Win. Now the choice lies before you. Will you be conformed to this world or will you be transformed by the renewing of your mind? There is no mystery to either one. To be conformed to this world, you simply need to immerse yourself in it, to allow yourself to be influenced by it. It takes no effort and brings no reward. To be transformed by the renewing of your mind, you need to immerse yourself in the Word of God to allow yourself to be influenced by it. It takes great effort and brings great reward. The Olympic runner longs to hear the crowd screaming his name and longs to feel the weight of the gold medal as it hangs around his neck. He determines in his mind that he must win and then instills habits that will force him to live with discipline, to train with persistence, to put aside anything that might threaten his success. If he does all this for the adoration of mere men and the reward of a few ounces of metal, how much more should you, Christian, resolve to lay aside every weight in the sin which clings so closely and run with endurance a race set before you? You run to hear your heavenly Father proclaim, well done, good and faithful servant, and to bestow on you a reward that can never fade away, can never be lost. If you're going to keep your legs moving toward the prize of Christ, you must keep your mind renewing toward the mind of Christ. Christian man, renew your mind. That's our goal. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thanks for the time we've enjoyed this weekend. I pray that you'd use your word in whatever way you deem appropriate in each of our lives. God, help us to become more like you for your glory as we long for the day 
that we will live in your presence for all of eternity. Amen.